Welcome to the Dog Training Audio Experience. I'm your host, Erica Gonzalez. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant and founder of From Dust Till Dog LLC. Now let's get into the podcast. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Hi. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited to have you on. You are my first guest. <gasps> Lucky me. I know. I had to have you on right away. So thank you so much. Now that we all have a at least a little bit extra time, I'm glad that we can align our schedules to make this happen today. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Absolutely. So uh, for those of you listening, uh, this is Rachel Harris. She is a certified professional dog trainer and also owns uh, a good feeling dog training in Colorado, um, which I am jealous of because I am a mountain girl at heart, I think. Uh, (laughs) And you also host your own podcast called Disorderly Dogs, which is awesome as well. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah, for sure. And um, for those of you listening, Erica was a guest on my podcast too. So there's yes. so many good podcast episodes that you can listen to. <laughs> Everybody catch up on all the podcast episodes. We all can can find some more time for those now. Seriously. And P.S. Um, I'm in love with your dog. So you're also an awesome dog mom to Tiva and Waylon. And I love watching their adventures on your Instagram page. So I just want to say that I am now their uh, New Jersey Auntie Erica from yeah. Yes. The way here. <laughs> um, so yeah, so let's just hop right into it. Um, I, I wanted to basically have this episode be all about muzzles because I feel like it's sometimes a topic that I feel people aren't quite sure about when to use it, how to train with it, um, how to get off of it when they're like ready to take them off the muzzle. So I just wanted us to chat through some of that and provide some value for, for listeners that might be considering using one or might have to use one at some juncture. So let's walk through some of that. So um, Rachel, I know you work with behavioral cases and all sorts of different stuff. You know, what are some instances where you would recommend to a client that their dog should be on a muzzle or they should start the training with a muzzle? What are some situations that you would you would deem appropriate for that? Yeah, so, you know, I think that you bring up a good point, Erica. I think that muzzles can seem like really daunting and intimidating, but I use them for a wide range of behavioral cases. So, um, you know, I, I do a lot of aggression work, um, human directed aggression, dog, dog, inner household aggression. And those are definitely circumstances in which I'm, I'm suggesting to the owner that we do muzzle training. And I think right. that for a lot of owners who have a dog who has a bite history, meaning like the dog has bit people and or other dogs and you know, it's more than just a scratch. There's puncture wounds, there's blood drawn. I feel like when I bring up muzzle training, I feel like most of those clients are actually pretty relieved, right? Like, yeah, you you can, right. You can teach it. And it's so much more than just slapping the dog, a muzzle on the dog, right? Right. And I think once owners can understand that, you know, we're going to teach the dog to accept wearing the muzzle, like they accept wearing the harness, they accept being on a leash, right? They accept, you know, if you use a a collar, a gentle leader, right? So it's about teaching the dog that the muzzle ain't no thing. And (laughs) it it acts as this super safety net so that we can prevent any more reported bites from happening. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, you're right. I mean, I think you bring up a really good point that I definitely have seen clients that seem relieved when their dog has bitten. They're like, oh, dear God, thank you. Like, <laughs> they're, I, I think they really are relieved that there's a safety net, you know, so they don't have to be uh, dealing with that at that level, at least where there's a there is another bite, an actual bite. Um, and I, I did, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but do you find that aside from the people who seem relieved, do you find that there are people who feel like there's a stigma to it and seem a little bit hesitant about training their dogs on a muzzle? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we all, to a certain extent, can identify with that, you know, that like, I think for a long time, you know, society has told us that a muzzled dog is a bad dog. And I think that you know, the, the muzzled up project. So for those of you listening who aren't familiar, um, the muzzled up project is a project to bring awareness and help people understand how to train their dogs to wear muzzles. And I think something Mm -hmm. else that's, that's helpful to clarify here when, when Eric kind of referred to muzzles, we're talking about a basket muzzle, right? That doesn't restrict the dog's breathing. It doesn't restrict their ability to pant, eat cookies even, right? So we're talking primarily about a basket muzzle, not like a fabric muzzle that's restricting the dog's airways. Absolutely. That's a really good distinction. So yeah, the basket muzzle is going to allow people to feed their dogs and they can can still try to bite, they can bark, they can do everything as normal. They just can't make contact. So that's definitely a good distinction. And I feel like the cloth muzzles are, at least in my experience, I feel like those are more for like maybe a grooming kind of quick nail trim situation that they'll like put it on the dog for a moment, but it's not something they should really be wearing for more than just a a couple of minutes for something really quick. Would you agree with that, Rachel? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, and in my humble opinion, I think that if we can just train the basket muzzle, then we phase out the need for the fabric muzzles. I agree. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the fabric in general for really any reason. So yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I a hundred percent agree. Um, yeah. So do you, um, do you find that you're needing outside of like the aggression cases? Cause I think for most people, that's a, a, almost a very obvious one for even the average person to be like, yeah, that makes sense that the dog's muzzled. Are there like, I guess more, uh, less intense situations that you would probably recommend, uh, for a dog to be muzzled for? And if so, what kind of situations, uh, would those be? Yeah, you know, there there's so many situations in which I'm suggesting muzzle training. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, but like my primary objective, first and foremost, is building like a trustworthy dialogue with my clients. And um, some clients are not open to muzzle training initially, right? right. So, and, and that's okay. But I always plant that seed right from the beginning, because even dogs who don't have a bite history, Um, You know, I think that in my experience, I can see early signs of a dog who I am concerned that will reach a point in which they will bite. Mm -hmm. Like those are definitely circumstances where I'm suggesting muzzle training, right? Where like the dog has acted semi-aggressively, never made contact, but definitely like the threat and the display is there. Like those are definitely situations where I'm really gently trying to guide my client to understand that like the dog's quality of life. And the dog's world can be bigger if we do muzzle train. But even outside of dogs who are like biting people and other dogs, I'm a huge advocate for muzzle training for dogs who are constantly consuming, finding, 
gross things that could be <laughs> a, a choking hazard. So, right. um, you know, to give some of your listeners an example here. So Waylon is my youngest dog. He's an American Staffordshire Terrier and he's not aggressive to people or other dogs, right? I'm not really concerned about him biting them, but what I am concerned about is him finding bones and things that are dangerous that are potential choking hazards right, right so um i am muzzle training waylon and it's not because i'm worried that he's going to bite someone i'm worried that he's going to consume something that could be potentially harmful to him and mm-hmm. you know i'm using the muzzle as a safety net so that you know he still gets to sniff and explore and and meet his dog needs in that way but i have the safety net of like if he were to find something like big and disgusting I at least have like a fighting chance of getting him to give it up if he does have the muscle yeah (laughs) I know yeah no that's a really really good example and one that I want people to hear about because I know I know you've seen it I mean you're you've experienced it at some level and I've I've been there where you know I have clients who their dogs are like I call them hoover vacuum little (laughs) hoovers and they just like walk and pick things up the whole walk like some dogs are really upset obsessive about it um, and fixated on that. So I think that's really important that it's a totally okay situation to introduce a muzzle because then, you know, there's less that your dog's going to be able to pick up, if anything. And that kind of gives you a little bit of management while you work through some of the other training you might be doing. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, well, and I feel like, you know, owners out there who have dogs who have irritable bowel disease, like, Mm. I feel for you because that is brutal. You know, like the dog eating anything outside of their normal diet can cause upset (laughs) and explosive (laughs) diarrhea. And those are those are other circumstances, right? Right. Where Like I'm I'm suggesting um, muzzle training. And, you know, it's I feel like half of it is just for the peace of mind of the owner. Right. Like as, right. as much as it is, is like the reality of managing the dog from eating things. And I do want to be clear that like with muzzles, basket muzzles in particular, like dogs still have the capacity to pick things up and eat through the muzzle. Like that's definitely still a possibility. But right. for Waylon, I feel like the muzzle is at least slowing him down a little bit mm-hmm. and giving me like you're saying, right, like a little bit more of an opportunity to convince him to trade for something else. Yeah, that makes sense. I I think that's a good distinction, too, because, yes, your dog can probably still get some tinier things through, but, you know, they'll find they will find a way, I feel like some dogs, but it does buy you a little bit of extra time to kind of negotiate with them uh, a little bit. So that's good. Um, I think a big one, too, that I wanted your opinion on, Rachel, is I think a lot, at least in my experience, what I've seen is even at like the vet or grooming situations where a dog uh, seems fine for a while, they go to the vet and everything seems totally normal and no big problems. And they do that for a couple of years or even a couple of months. And then all of a sudden they slowly start to realize the dog's getting a little uncomfortable and they kind of think it's not a big deal. And we kind of keep going. And then they reach a point where either the owner is a little bit nervous and feels like they should muzzle their dog or the vet will say we need to muzzle the dog and what I find happens is that then they're just kind of putting it on the dog in the middle of the vet appointment when they're already showing signs that they're stressed and so for safety I understand why they do this but then for safety they're kind of throwing it on the dog Um, and I always tell pet parents like you were saying, kind of more of a prevention method, like more of a a looking at it from prevention standpoint of like, hey, 
at some point your dog may need to wear one regardless. So for those of you listening, even if your dog doesn't pick up stuff outside or doesn't have an issue, stranger danger, or has never bitten anybody, it's still a really useful thing to teach your dog because you never know there might come a situation in the years that you have them where they might need to wear one. So I always advise people kind of do it ahead of time just in case for like the vet or grooming because uh, your dog can get nervous about that. Well, yeah. And like, if we can proactively teach our dogs that muzzles are neutral, right? Like having a muzzle on doesn't have to elicit like a terrible response or even a a huge positive response for that matter. Right. So Mm -hmm. that in those emergency situations, putting a muzzle on them isn't going to add more stress to an already stressful situation. And, you know, you know, to just to default back to like Waylon and and my personal experience Mm -hmm. is that, you know, I've done a lot of work in teaching him to participate in his own veterinary care because at a young age, he had a negative experience and he did try to bite and he didn't make contact. But I think it's so important that people realize that like even your typically like um, social friendly uh, to people and or other dogs, dogs still has the capacity to feel so threatened that they use their only mode to defend themselves. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's not just some aggressive dogs. Like I think that all dogs have the capacity, all dogs can bite. So if we can just take this proactive strategy and teach them right from the get that the muzzle is not a huge deal, we have that instead of trying to backpedal when our dog already had a super negative experience and then a muzzle was part of that negative experience. Exactly. Yeah. It's super important. And I feel like if you can be as proactive as we all want to be with dog training and with our dogs, that's definitely something that as part of kind of like equipment, like getting them used to wearing almost like you would want to get them used to wearing their harness and their collar. Like it's a good idea to, to, to throw in the muzzle here and there. If you ever feel you might need one, um, even if you don't, it's just also fun training. Like I've never had to use one at least as of right now with Jay, thank God. And you never know life, like throws things at you. So um, she's been really good with everything in that regard. But I've started muzzle training her as well a few months ago, and she's been doing really well with it. Um, I just think it's really fun to train just in case. I think it's different. I do think it's it's a good thing to be proactive about. Um, but would you say, uh, Rachel, that I know you I know you mentioned the basket muzzle and I know both of us are not a huge fan of, of really any other muzzle, like the basketball muzzles are the safest. And I also think the most comfortable for the dog as well, right? Um, do you have any brands or specific kinds that for those listening, if they wanted to look up some of these, like do you have a specific brand that you normally recommend to clients? Yeah, so um, I use the Baskerville, B-A-S-K-E-R-V-I-L-L-E, the Baskerville muzzle. Mm-hmm. And, and that, in my experience, seems to fit like a pretty vast majority of dog breeds, but um, there's a company called Bumas, B-U-M-A-S, and they make custom muzzles. And I find for some of like the brachycephalic dogs, right? So think like bulldogs, Boston Terriers, some of those dogs, like the, the basket muzzles don't really fit their face very well. And I think that they can be kind of uncomfortable. So Mm. um, I think that getting a custom muzzle for a dog who has like, you know, a semi-irregular face shape is, is definitely right. an option. But yeah, the Baskerville muzzle is super inexpensive. It's like under $20. And um, yeah, that that's the muzzle that I've used with a lot of great success. And then I wanted just to touch really quickly on what we were talking about with the training. I think yeah. that 
you know, I think that even one early positive experience with a muzzle can go a long way. Like, I don't even think you need to like train it completely. But I think that if like in your dog's early days with you, whether they're young or recently adopted, if you can do just a little bit of fun, like target training with a muzzle, it's really easy to pick up on that and continue the training if you need it. Like, I don't even think you need to bring the training to fluency by any means. But I think if you can set just that initial positive association with the muzzle, it's going to, it's really going to serve you in your dog's life. That's such a good point, Rachel. I, I think that's really important for people to know is I do think it can seem daunting. Like, oh, I have to train my dog to wear this thing. <laughs> and like, for how long and for what reason, you know? So I think that's a really good point. Like, I mean, we've all had experiences where you have one, one or two positive experiences with, you know, a company you hire or something that happened or a person you met and you're like, I like that guy or I like that place. Yes. Um, so as long as, you know, even if you just have, like you said, a couple moments here and there where they've been exposed to it and it's not been negative, like that's definitely going to impact in their brain in a certain way so that they view it a little bit better down the line if you did need it. So thank you for bringing that up. I think that's really important for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I do want to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit to help people who might want to train this some kind of like, I call this like macro concept. So um, we can get a little micro, but obviously I know there's a lot to it and, and there's context and, and back story and stuff that kind of help us train certain dogs on a muzzle. But if somebody was kind of for the first time trying to make it positive or trying to have some of those first exposures with their dogs to the muzzle, what would you recommend as like a good first and second type of step or action to take with the muzzle to help their dogs feel a little bit more positive about it. I love this. Yes. I love this, right? Just like small <laughs> tangible steps that people can go and do today. So yeah. first and foremost, I always want the dog to be voluntarily interacting with the muzzle. So I think that it's really important that when you first present the muzzle to your dog, you're not moving it towards them. You're not trying to put it on them. You're just holding it in your hand. And I, I think that just waiting for the dog to come over and sniff it is a fabulous first step. And empowering our dogs to check it out and kind of get a feel for like, huh, what's this thing? Because <laughs> if you start off right from the get, like shoving it in their face, you're really setting the tone for like a weird experience, you know? Right. And, and I don't think that it's always negative, but I think that that's a weird thing. Like if someone was shoving something in my face that I'd never seen before, I would be like, what? Excuse me. Yeah. Yes. It's really weird. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think that the first thing is really allowing your dog to choose to interact with the muzzle first and foremost right yeah. and if I think that most dogs don't really have much of a they have a neutral response right like okay there's this thing here what are we doing about it and then mm -hmm. that's when you can really start to shift those associations right that okay, so you touch the muzzle with your nose, you get a mark and reward. Like, okay, now you've come over, you've licked the muzzle, you get a mark and reward and really start to build their interest and help them understand that interacting with the muzzle is what's making the food happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually a really great step for people. Super easy. And for those of you listening that hear Rachel say mark and reward, and, and I always, I use the mark and pay, mark and pay. Yes. Um, so if you hear us saying that, for those that might not know, if you don't already like, you know, see some of these clips or hear us chatting, essentially that means if you're marking something that we can either, you know, if you're using a clicker, you can click, although with muzzle training, that can be a little bit, uh, a lot, a lot in your hands. Um, so 
you can use a verbal marker of like, yes, and then give them a treat or reinforcement there. So yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's an easy first step that people can certainly do today, like right away. Yeah. And then just a tidbit on that is that, so I'm, I'm marking, so you can use whatever verbal marker you want. Yes. Good clicker, whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. But when I'm giving the reinforcement, the food reinforcement, I'm not delivering it to the dog's mouth. What I'm doing is I'm tossing it away. So the dog has to walk away, pick up the food reward, and then choose to come back and interact with the muzzle again. And I think that structuring the training session like that makes it easier to get more repetitions versus like, okay, the dog interacted with the muzzle, you deliver the food to their mouth, and now they're just kind of looking at you puzzled, like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Right? So I think that structuring the training session that you mark and toss the food reinforcement for them to go and get just creates an opportunity for them to come back and interact. And there's way less room for confusion on the dog's part. That is extremely good advice. And I love that. And I'm always trying to explain that to people because they're always asked, like, why are we tossing it? You know, Um, so I I think that kind of gives a dog, the dog, a good reset, a good little break, but they're still getting the reinforcement for putting their, you know, face near the muzzle or sniffing the muzzle or interacting with it. Um, And that's why we're using that marker word, guys. So your your yes or your click or your good is going to happen when your dog does the action. So they're either putting their face near the muzzle or sniffing it or looking at it even is appropriate if you're starting really off on the first step um, and you're marking there and then the food reinforcement gets delivered with a toss. So the dog's still picking up on when we're marking. So it's not that you necessarily, to Rachel's point, have to feed right at the moment through the muzzle in that moment or anything like that. We're just marking the moment they do it and then they can go run and get the food and then opt to come back, which is what we want. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that this is the way that I always explain it is that the marker word is expediting the learning process because Mm -hmm. our learner, our dogs in this case, are clear on what exactly they've done to earn the food reinforcement. And I find that if you have good marker timing, you can make tremendous progress in training sessions versus if you're not using a marker word and the dog is kind of like, huh, this human is just dispensing food willy-nilly, and I'm not really sure why. (laughs) This is great, but I'm not really aware. Yeah, exactly. Um. (laughs) And then to your point, Erica, initially, I am not feeding through the muzzle. Right. Right, like no cookies are coming through the muzzle initially because – I find that if right from the get, I start feeding through the muzzle, I feel like I'm putting my dog in a situation where they're not exactly clear on what's happening. They're just like, oh, there's this food. And I really want my dog to be conscious and active and a willing participant in sticking their face in the muzzle and not just following allure per se, right? Allure being like, hey, there's this food, come towards it. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that, we can just get a better product if we're, we're shaping, right? So we're marking and rewarding for interacting with the muzzle versus luring in the case of muzzles. Like, you know, muzzle, luring is fine. I use, I use luring a lot, but I don't use it in muzzle training just because I find that then I have to do backpedaling later in the training session because mm-hmm. the dog's like, wait a minute, my face was in here and you gave me food. I'm not sure I like this anymore. Right. Right. I think that's really important too. I mean, everything, this is such valuable information because yeah, I think a lot of people do misinterpret because I, because I've had clients who have tried to start some of the muzzle training. Um, and then I get called in and we're going over everything you and I are discussing. And I can tell that the dog is a little bit 
perplexed or kind of like, uh, like what you just said, like the food's there. I don't know. And I'm, I'm not really, I don't care that much about the food. I don't really want to go near it. And so yeah. it will almost like poison the food at some point if it's not done, you know, properly. And the dog might just be like, ah, I'm good. Um, and then what, you know? So uh, I think it's really important that people do try to have their dog do the action we mark and then they can kind of go get the food and then opt to come back. Um, so I think that that is a really, really good point. Cause I do think a lot of people are feeding right through right away. And I think that might go well a little bit in the beginning, but like you said, you kind of might be having to fix some of that later. So we really want action first and then foods delivered after you mark that action. Um, so really, really good advice. So once somebody has done that a little bit. Let's say their dog is looking at it. They're, they're coming up and sniffing it they're, They might even be kind of like, you know, nuzzling it, putting their, putting their nose in there or putting their face in. What would you advise would be like another thing they can do after that initial kind of intro with the muzzle? What would be another easy, simple thing that somebody could do if they are first trying to get their dogs okay with the muzzle? Is there anything else you, that you'd advise? Yeah, for sure. So once I have my dogs willingly participating in the muzzle training, right? Like they're willingly sticking their face in the muzzle. They'll go get the cookie. They'll come back. They'll stick their face in, that's when I'm going to transition to feeding through the muzzle. But that okay. is contingent on my dog is happy to stick their face in, even if there's no food right in front of the muzzle, right? So once I have that, that's established, then I am going to transition to feeding through the muzzle. And something mm -hmm. that's really helpful is something that is lickable, right? So ah. peanut butter on a spoon. Um, I know that you do like the little licky tubes that I do. So for <laughs> those of you that are listening, think like, um, like a, like a, baby food pouch or like a travel right. shampoo bottle that you mm -hmm. can stick something in that you can control the flow of the dog, like licking it out. Like, I mean, even right. easy cheese, like, you know, probably yeah, not like very nutritionally cheese. balanced, but <laughs> that's also super helpful. So that's when I'm going to start to get my dog more comfortable with sticking their face in the muzzle and keeping their face in the muzzle. I'm not going to clip it on them by any means, but now that they're offering sticking their face in the muzzle, that's when I'm going to start feeding something lickable through the muzzle. So there's mm -hmm. a bottom part of the muzzle where they can breathe and pant and all that stuff. So that bottom part of the muzzle, there's like a hole. That's where I'm feeding through. And I'm probably going to squeeze some stuff. So they're licking, 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 licking. And then when I can tell they're about to be done doing that licking motion, I'm going to take the muzzle off. I'm going to mm. wait. And then I'm going to do another repetition. So I'm always trying to leave my dog wanting more, right? So they have their face in the muzzle. They're licking, licking, licking. And then the muzzle goes away. And I want my dog really like, could you put that back on me and let me like yeah. something else, right? Like, <laughs> that's really what I'm going after for the dog to be like, okay, put it back on. Let's do this already, right? Like, right. that's that's the emotional state that I want from my dog versus the like, you know, they're starting to paw like, oh my God, get those off of me. If they start to paw, you know, you've gone too far, right? Too yeah. much too soon. And that's okay. It happens in training sessions, but that's just good information about like maybe back off a little bit. But right. yeah, once the dog is happy to stick their face in the muzzle, that's when I'm going to start to get more duration of time where they hang out in the muzzle and introduce some sort of lickable goodness into the training equation. Yeah. And I just to clarify, to help those listening with, um, 
when you make the distinction about when they're almost done licking, you remove the muzzle. And why is that, Rachel? You don't want the dog to remove, like, why are you removing it first? So they don't back up or are you removing it for another reason? I mean, I'm removing it so that like my association building is really, really clear. Their face is in the muzzle. The lickable stuff happens. The muzzle comes off. The lickable stuff stops. Right. So I'm just really trying to be clear about my order of operations there so that there's no confusion from the dog's point. Right. And they, mm-hmm. they're really understanding that the muzzle is what makes the really good stuff happen. And I'm just trying to be strategic about like, okay, the lickable stuff is almost gone. I don't want there to be any moment where the dog can like think like, Ooh, I want this thing off my face. I want it right. just to be super duper quick. Like, Oh my God, all this good stuff's coming into my face. Hey, the muzzle's <laughs> off now. Yes. Right? Like I want yep. it just to be this like crazy surprise that the dog is like <laughs> slightly confused at first. Like, wait a minute, what's happening? And then they start to realize like, okay, let's do this. Put the muzzle on. I'm ready for the lickable goodness. Absolutely. I think that's a really good distinction because I go over that about take it off before, like give them the stuff and then you remove it versus they get like they remove themselves away from it. Because to your point, if there's no... Uh, food being delivered and their face is in it and then they're like okay nothing's happening and then they kind of practice backing up or like okay I need to get that away from me it's just something you can avoid that obviously might not be helping your training and that tiny little adjustment so I think it's important people know when the food's almost done you can go ahead and, and move the muzzle off of them so that they're kind of wanting more you do want them to kind of be left excited by the fact that you might represent the muzzle and they might get more food there. Yeah, absolutely. And like with that too, like I'm always trying to prevent the dog from having any like confusing, confusing, sketchy, unhappy feelings, right? Right. Like I'm trying to be really, really quick and rapid so that the dog doesn't even have a chance to to have sketchy feelings, right? Because (laughs) before they know it, the muzzle is off and then they want more goodness. So I'm just trying to be really proactive about avoiding opportunities for my dog to potentially have um, discomfort or, you know, I just call them quote unquote sketchy feelings, you know what yeah. I mean? Right. Like, cause I, we don't want that because the right. second that the muzzle starts to give sketchy feelings, we're undoing the association that we really want. Yeah. I think, I think that's really important to, to, you know, keep in mind when people are, when you're doing this, it's really important that we keep it as positive as possible. And like you said, we might make a mistake. There might be moments where we're getting feedback from the dog and then we're like, okay. So if at any point a dog feels uncomfortable or gets sketchy feelings, which we all get at some, at some moment. um, But you know, if your dog's feeling sketchy, we should take a step back in the training and go back to the previous step that was making them comfortable, you know, or take a break and revisit it later at the appropriate um, level that they're able to succeed at. So I think that's important for people to remember that you do want your dog to opt in. You want them to feel happy about it, or at least, you know, like you said, neutral. They don't have to be jumping for joy the entire time, but interested and and okay with it. And I think when you're, you know, squeezing some peanut butter or squeeze cheese through it, that most dogs are pretty thrilled. Um, So, uh, and by the way, one of my favorite things, I don't know if you know the names of the things that you buy or you buy different ones, but I have a, a specific tube that I've trialed a few tubes, like these squeeze tubes we're talking about. And the one that I really like is called the squeezy snacker. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it's such a cute name, but I really like it. Um, I've used some of the reusable ones too, that you use, which is awesome. Those are great. Um, 
but because I am not the best with the food processor business, I like <laughs> the, those don't work that well for me all the time because I'm not like making a proper concoction. Um, so I like just using some peanut butter and a little, a little peanut butter and some yogurt is really good with our dogs. Um, and then I mix it in a bowl and I put it in the squeezy snacker and it's really easy to clean. So that's why yeah. I really like it. Because some of the other, like I've tried shampoo bottles and stuff and it, it just they're they get a little gunky or stained and I just don't really like it but the squeezy snacker is basically for like little kids to eat out of like the applesauce or whatever and uh, I use it for my dogs because they're kind of like my kids right now so um, yes yeah so but that's good I I appreciate that do you know what's the brands or the name of the uh, reusable ones that you use do you know so the ones that I have they're just like a 12 pack off of Amazon and you know the name is escaping me right now but um, I think that there's, I mean, there's so many easy ways. So, you know, there's a company and they make them, they're called bark pouch and ah. they actually like make the disgusting concoctions and fill them and we'll ship them to you. <laughs> even so that's, better. That's even another really super easy way to do it. But I think what it really boils down to is one, making sure that the dog actually likes it. And two, making sure that you as the handler, it's easy for you to dispense. You know, so you got to feel comfortable like using it and dispensing it. And like, if you're more comfortable just smearing some peanut butter on a spatula or a spoon, like, I mean, that's super effective too. So I don't think you even need to get fancy. And, you know, I wanted just to touch on one more point about the muzzle training is that yeah, for me, I am always doing really short and sweet muzzle training sessions. And I'm always really cautious never to let muzzle training sessions go too long or do too much of them. So mm-hmm. I think muzzle training is one of those things that like you, you never want to drill muzzle training. Like I don't want my clients to ever drill any training session ever, but especially with the muzzle. You know, like, I feel like there's a lot of room for error when you're like, oh, I'm going to do just one more. And the dog's like, oh, for the love of God, can we do something else? You know, so How many more. Yes. Yes. So I, you know, for all of you listening, like less is more, especially when it comes to muzzle training. So I'm talking like maybe max, I'm doing like a couple of minutes, right? Like mm-hmm. max five minute training session. And then I'm putting the muzzle up and we're going on to something else. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I always say short, successful, positive sessions as much as possible for really any training. Yeah, definitely for something like a muzzle, which could be slightly weird for most dogs because it's just it's it's a little different than teaching like touch or having them go to their bed. Um, it's like an object we're bringing out that's going to be on their face. So you do want to keep it short and successful. I think that's good advice. Um Uh, Rachel, I also wanted to ask, because I see a lot of people who will advise to like eat out of it, like put their put their dog's muzzle in like their food bowl or in a bowl and kind of put their kibble or food or whatever they're feeding the dog inside the muzzle and like put it down on the ground and have the dog approach and kind of almost eat out of the muzzle, so to speak. How do you feel about that? Is that something that you think is effective or... Yeah. So I love this question. I think that it's, there's so many good touching points. So first and foremost, so the basketball muzzle, the box that it comes in is designed for that, right? (laughs) So the box is designed so that you can set the muzzle up and set it on the ground. So the dog had to eat out of it. So, you know, right off the bat, no, I'm definitely not doing that with a new dog because I think that that can create a lot of frustration in dogs, 
mm-hmm. they're like, for the love of God, just give me the food, you know? <laughs> so I want to be really cautious not to introduce that too soon. I think that smearing something lickable that they lick out versus trying to have to like eat out of it, that would definitely be my go-to because again, I don't want to create any conflict in the dog and I don't want the dog to get frustrated trying to get the, like the loose kibble or like dry treats through the muzzle. So like that would be my major concern with that. But once the dog is more comfortable and if your dog is like really skillful with like their tongue and <laughs> they have amazing yeah, like get all of it out. Yeah, enrichment ca- capabilities, then I think you can get away with that a little bit more. But I find that if you do too much of that too soon, we're just creating more confusion and frustration because the dog is like just trying to get the food and the muzzles just in the way. So right. I always want to be cautious about that, right? Like I want the dog I want the dog to get comfortable with the sensation of the muzzle on their face, but I'd rather them be licking than them like frantically trying to get like a a straight piece of kibble. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I appreciate that feedback because I think a lot of people are a little unsure about how to do that. And I, I agree. I do think some dogs can get frustrated and when we're trying to introduce this and have it be happy, happy, And it's something that brings a level of frustration and is kind of what you said in the way, right? I think that that can be upsetting for the dog. So it's important to make sure we're introducing stuff like that appropriately and also at the right time for that dog. Yeah. But like, I mean, if some of your listeners, like if they're like into the muzzle training and the dog's already comfortable wearing it and stuff like that, in that case, that's when I'm probably going to introduce some more of those games, right? Right. Like, okay, there's the muzzle on. Now you got to lick up this piece of kibble, but that's way down the line. And Mm -hmm. that's when I'm really sure that my dog is prepped and ready for that level of difficulty. And I'm certain that it's not going to cause unnecessary frustration you know and like I think that all of us have to handle frustration in our day-to-day you know so I want to be clear about that but I don't want to get to a point where the dog is so freaking frustrated that they're like get this muzzle out of my way because that's (laughs) that's that's undoing the work that you've done initially so you never want to sabotage the foundation that you've laid yeah yeah and and when would I did want to kind of also Aside from the, so we've covered kind of when some situations to consider muzzle training for your dog, what kind of muzzle to use, um, some ideas on how to train it. And then I, I know there are probably some people curious about, okay, if they are already currently trained on a muzzle or they're working through it. And they're, they're, we're always looking at kind of like what the end result's going to be or, you know, what the light at the end of the tunnel of all of this might be for at least a lot of my clients, right? <laughs> um, and so they're always like, well, what about at the end of all this? Like, when when can we do this or that? And so I, I would like to kind of get your feedback just generally. And again, I know there's so much more to all of this, but um, in a general sense, and maybe there's a specific example you want to lean into, but when would you find it if we've introduced a muzzle, whether it's for, you know, dog on dog issues or because they're picking up stuff outside or because they're going to the vet and they have some issues or whatever it may be. When would you in one of those examples uh, feel like it would be appropriate to start testing no longer using the muzzle, like how to transition off of a muzzle? Or is it something that you think is always playing a role? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a super fabulous question. And you know, like, it's such an annoying answer in dog training, but it always depends. But to give you to give you some perspective. So 
Um, I owned a, a male Amstaff prior to, to Waylon called Sonny, who could be uh, pretty dog aggressive. Like he had dog friends, but he also had been in dog fights where he had done uh, pretty serious damage to other dogs. So in an mm-hmm. effort to um, continue our life. So like Erica was saying, we live in Colorado and we do a lot of hiking. So I muzzle trained Sonny so that on hikes, he could still be off leash and have interactions with other dogs, but not hurt other dogs. Mm-hmm. And in that circumstance, I was never considering fading the muzzle. Right. The muzzle right. was always contingent because I couldn't predict the dogs that he was going to interact with. But, you know, in situations where I was maybe introducing Sonny to a new dog in a more more controlled setting, I knew the dog. Um, You know, once I felt like Sonny was comfortable, he had plenty of experience with the other dog with the muzzle on. I wasn't seeing any red flag behaviors where I I was worried he was going to act aggressively. Then I would probably look at some sort of other like management. So like a gate or a leash. And mm-hmm. then maybe I would consider consider phasing the muzzle. But really, you know, the muzzle training is, for me, it's really about expanding the dog's world and giving the owner more peace of mind. And sometimes it's not appropriate to fade that. I'm so glad that you just said that in that way, as I think it puts people at ease to hear dog trainers being like, you know, I had a dog or I have a dog and we still use it. Like it's contingent on the fact we're going out and that it's just a necessity. So I do think that that's, those are really good examples, right? So there's going to be situations where, um, you know, I get asked a lot. I'm sure you do like, so when can we take it off? You know, like everyone just wants to know when it's all over. I'm like, we just started, you know, and I totally understand people's um, you know, that people's feelings about that, because again, and deep down, maybe they're not a hundred percent comfortable with their dog wearing a muzzle. And that's why we're talking about, you know, trying to remove some of the stigma or they might feel like, you know, their dog is a bad dog if they have to wear it. And there's these like thoughts behind it. So I'm glad that we're kind of, you know, clearing that up for people and kind of discussing that. Uh, and I do think a lot of people do want to get to that kind of end goal. And I think for most people, it's like, well, when can we take it off? When won't we need this anymore? And some of this training and muzzle training in particular, and like what you were kind of getting to, it's in most cases for most of these situations, it's part of the dog's just lifestyle. It's part of your lives. It's part of your training. Um, And it's going to come in and out depending on what's going on or when your dog in particular might need it. But it's not something that at least I feel like people shouldn't be uh, thinking about, well, how quickly and at what point should we get rid of this? I think people should be more embrace more of it just kind of being part of their dog's lives at some level. Well, and I think like recognizing the possibilities for your dog right. and yourself, thanks to the muzzle, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Sonny was a dog who like he could do really well with a lot of dogs, you know, and like early on in his life, I got away with him being like off leash on hikes and interacting with dogs without any incidents. But, you mm-hmm. know, then those aggressive incidents started to stack up, you know what I mean? And then I got yeah. bit breaking up a dog fight. And you know, those were those moments where like, if it wasn't for the muzzle, Sonny couldn't have gone hiking anymore. And that was non-negotiable, right? For his right. health, for his overall well-being and mine. And the muzzle allowed us to continue our quality of life. And for me, it wasn't about getting rid of the muzzle. It was about keeping the muzzle so that we could keep our quality of life. You yeah. know, and I think that that's what the muzzle is capable of. 
And I Definitely. think that that's what we should be focusing our energy on is like the possibilities with the muzzle instead of feeling like, when can we get rid of the muzzle? Right. Because yeah. if it wasn't for the muzzle, you know, and, and I know you can relate to this and I don't want to get too heavy on your listeners here, but you know, owning a, an aggressive dog is a huge responsibility and liability yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of dogs, my clients' dogs, that if it wasn't for muzzles, these dogs would have been euthanized by orders by the state and the owner would have had no choice. Yeah. You know, so I think really it's just true. focusing on um, the possibilities and how that can increase the quality of life for ourselves and our dogs. Like, I think that that's worth focusing on and kind of letting go of some of this, like, well, when can I get rid of the muzzle? Like, it's, <laughs> it's not about getting rid of the muzzle. It's about maintaining safety and quality of life for everybody involved thousand percent well said I think that's really really a a good way to wrap that up is saying like hey this is opening up your dog's world and opening up like for those with maybe stranger danger or whatever like opening up their circle opening up situations that normally everyone would be really tense and nervous and the dog included Um, and I always tell people too like as another kind of last point on that stuff people are are not only relieved when we, some people are relieved when their dogs have snapped or bitten or done something and we say, Hey, let's muzzle train them. But I always tell people to put them a little bit more at ease. I'll say, listen, when we get down the training road here, once, you know, they are trained on the muzzle and we are trying to explore some training situations where, you know, before your dog got uncomfortable and we're going to kind of work up to, to exposing them slowly to those things again, um, it's going to make all the humans in the room at that moment feel a li- like fe- let out a breath of kind of relief like a sigh of relief that they're not holding on to like oh my god my dog's gonna potentially hurt somebody right here which definitely can't help the training um so I think it helps people also feel at ease when they're working with their dogs on top of all these other added benefits I think it helps the person feel a little bit more calm maybe not totally calm but at least calmer when they're trying to work with their dogs yeah. Oh, it, yeah. it really does. You know, and like I said, you know, in Sunny's lifetime, I broke up a lot of dog fights. And, <laughs> you know, I think it's crazy how long that stuff sticks with you. You know, like oh, yeah. Sunny's been gone for going on three years. And yeah. I still have moments of like worry when I see dogs interact. And, yep. you know, the muzzle whew, is huge <laughs> for that, is huge for the human element, you know, of yeah. relaxation, like you're saying, right? Like, you know, your energy isn't going to like totally compromise the training session. I'm not trying to say that, but if you're tense and you're worried, the likelihood of it going South is much higher. So of course, you know, like if you can, (laughs) if you can just be more at ease and knowing that there is the safety net. And, you know, I think just to clarify, like, obviously the dog can't bite with the muzzle, the muzzle punch can still do damage, right? Like I still want to clarify that, but like, it's not this, like, you're going to have to like rip open the dog's mouth and prevent them to stop biting. You know what I mean? Like, I think I agree, right? The muzzle is huge for peace of mind for the human end. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much, Rachel. You are filled with insight. I very, very much appreciate you being on. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It's so amazing Aww. to be able to connect with all these amazing trainers. Okay. So, I know, right? Um, it's such a good thing. Yes. Okay. So uh, I am, you can find me mostly on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. Um, I post a ton of training videos and content just like Erica does. And then 
I also do have some how-to muzzle training videos over there on my Instagram TV. So um, I know, Erica, you probably have a couple muzzle training videos too. But if you need some more perspective, those videos are on there too. I know we all have a little extra time lately and all of us are home a lot more, at least most of us during this weird time, but it might be a great opportunity to train your dog. So if you are wanting to work on some muzzle training or other training goals that you had in mind, check out our virtual training programs. This means basically you receive a detailed training program, one-on-one coaching from me at a more affordable rate. So if you'd like more information on that, visit from dustholdog.com slash virtual sessions and reach out to us. For more tips, tricks, and cute dog pics, check us out on all of our social media platforms. All of them are at from dusk till dog. And we are on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, and Pinterest. And as they say, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, your attention means so much to me. If any of you got any value from this, please like, subscribe, share, and leave me a review. After all, dog trainers need positive reinforcement too.